freedom fighters, freedom lovers, and those who just want stuff for free. Greetings and hello. It is I, your favorite obscure social studies teacher, with just enough expertise to make things interesting, Mr. Palumbo, and this is the Professor Liberty Podcast. Thanks for tuning in, folks. If you'd like to email the show, the email is professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. That's professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. Send me your thoughts, your ideas, your comments, your concerns, your criticisms, anything. Just make sure you send it to professorliberty1776 at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on Facebook, Messenger, whatever you'd like. Because at this podcast, we're all about liberty. We also have a new website, ProfessorLiberty.com, where you can find this podcast and the Proclaiming Liberty blog. There's free lessons and activities you can download if you're a homeschool parent or if you're a fellow obscure social studies teacher like me. If you'd like to browse for more lessons for your homeschool kids or your classroom, check out Professor Liberty at TeachersPayTeachers.com. Unfortunately, not all my material is available because TeacherPayTeachers.com censors material deemed offensive. You know, like if I ask a student what it's like to be a pilgrim, that's offensive. Insert eye roll here. Well, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. I want to wish everyone a blessed Advent season for those who observe it. And for those who don't observe it, have a nice time. And as the year comes to a close, I'd hope that you're doing better now in life today than you were doing a year ago. All right, on to the show. Today is Monday, so let's do a Motivational Monday episode. And this is called Three Lessons from Julius Caesar. You know, many of us, especially in the West, just don't realize how much Julius Caesar influences our lives, even today. For example, did you know that Caesar developed a calendar in which we base our modern calendar today? Did you know the month of July is named after Julius Caesar? Did you know sayings like crossing the Rubicon and stabbed in the back and sayings like I came, I saw, I conquered all come from, you guessed it, Julius Caesar. Of course, we have the salad dressing, which is one of my personal favorites, by the way. Also, did you know that the Caesarean section, or C-section, is named after, you guessed it, Julius Caesar. Of course, there are some infamous ways in which Julius, whose full name was Gaius Julius Caesar, set the example that dubious men would follow in his footsteps, That being things like using the loyalty of the army to secure power, something the things like Castro and Bonaparte would do later, and relating to that, you know, things like becoming a dictator, which eventually would, you know, destroy the republic and turn it into an empire or an autocracy. But, you know, among the common people, did you know that Caesar was beloved When you think of a dictator, we we think of, you know, automatically a bad guy. 
But many poor Romans celebrated the idea of him becoming dictator. This is why when Caesar was assassinated by a cabal of senators on March 15, 44 BC, in which he was stabbed over 20 times, by the way, this is why a civil war broke out almost immediately. To put a little modern analogy on this, which I know might be a little controversial, many uh, of the commoners, right, the plebeians, saw the aristocracy of Rome as the swamp. And when they assassinated Caesar, many common Romans saw the swamp or the corrupt political elite taking out their guy, their leader, their political representative. And they weren't too happy about it. Does this analogy sound familiar today? So why was Julius Caesar so popular back then? And still in many ways popular today. I mean, millions and millions of people have existed, right? Very few are remembered two millennia later. I mean, how many people can you name that lived 2,000 years ago that are still studied and talked about today? In an essay entitled 11 Leadership Lessons from Julius Caesar, a group called the Blenheim Partners stated this way, Caesar thought differently than his contemporaries, and to help us to understand why he stood out as arguably the greatest Roman who ever lived, here are some lessons that a bright, dead personality could teach us. That was a weird way to put it. Were they alive today? Gaius Julius Caesar, a man so successful in his time that his last name became synonymous with emperor, unquote. I'm going to use many ideas laid out in this essay for the podcast today, but I'm going to put my own flair on things as well as I always do. So here we go. Three lessons from Julius Caesar. Lesson one, be mindful how you treat people. As I already mentioned, the commoners, known as plebeians, loved and respected Julius Caesar. But why? Well, he had a consistent habit of taking care of and showing respect to people, whether it be his soldiers or the common folk. The essay writes, when Julius Caesar led his legions, he did so not from the standard cold formal jargon that one would expect to hear in an army, but he treated his soldiers as equals. When he addressed his troops, he referred to them as comrades, never men or soldiers. Caesar understood to gain a man's trust and loyalty, he must be different from that of the norm. He trained alongside his men in the same physical intensity that they did, and he knew all of the centurion's names, building with them an intimate rapport. Caesar knew that in doing so, he would retain their trust and admiration and gave his troops the mentality that they were fighting alongside Caesar, not just for Caesar, unquote. We have to be mindful of how we treat people in our lives. And it's not just a leadership thing. You know, it's almost guaranteed, though, that if you're a manager or a CEO of a company and you treat your employees with respect, if you lead by example, if you pay them well, it's almost guaranteed that your productivity, your efficiency, and your profitability will go up. You see, Caesar also made sure his soldiers were well taken care of financially, which is another precedent for 
you know, the more successful dictators that will follow him. But why do this? Well, it seems rather obvious, right? You take care of your people and they will take care of you. You show your people loyalty and they'll be loyal to you. Too often people become leaders and they think, oh, that means I have to be the boss and I have to boss people around and I have to talk down to people and I have to show my authority. But all this does is breed resentment and contempt. Caesar used the same principle, not just with his soldiers, but with relating to the underserved of Roman society. The essay continues, Caesar was loved by the lower classes of society, yet he was looked at upon with contempt by the more conservative, traditionally Roman senators who felt his ever-growing power was destroying Republican values. As dictator, Julius Caesar enacted a legislative program that addressed all segments of society. In his youth, he lived in neighborhoods that weren't exactly prestigious, but it did allow him to converse with the poorer classes that Roman senators would not pay note of. To give a modern analogy, Julius Caesar didn't live in a bubble, unquote. Surrounding yourself with different people really helps you grow as a person. I'll tell you, the most people who served in the military know this fact. In the military, most of us come from the far corners of the country, inside our own little bubbles, in our own little cultural circles, with all their traditions and values. And when you join the military, you are slammed together. You are almost immediately exposed to everyone and everything else. The military is an American cross-section of everyone, especially in the middle and lower classes. And you have to quickly learn about how others see and view the world. On top of that, the military impresses upon you that no matter what you look like, you are a team. We're all on the same team and we all fall and rise together. Caesar didn't live in the upper class, or at least his whole life he didn't live in this aristocratic bubble like so many rich people do even today. And a person can learn so much and grow so much as a person, and you have a more dynamic perspective of the world if you're around a diverse group of people with a diverse group of views and beliefs. You'll see in life that most people that have been around, they've, they've traveled the world, they're a little more humble with different traditions, you know, but you'll see people that live in these sheltered circles and they go outside their sheltered circle and they come across a diverse viewpoint. They, they flip out. We're seeing this with, uh, with our young people, with our college students and people that are younger, Gen Z, they, they literally cannot hear an opposing viewpoint. They literally cannot respect somebody who doesn't see the world exactly as they do. And that is because they've lived 20 years in a bubble. What Julius Caesar teaches us is that success really comes down to how you treat people and how you treat everybody. Julius Caesar, you know, many historians call him the first populist. Right. The 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 candidate, the political leader that can really talk to the people using the terms of the people. You know, uh, you know, I'd say our past two or three presidents, at least Obama and Trump, for sure, were super big populists trying to speak to the little guy, trying to use the language of the little guy, trying to share the common experience. And that's what Caesar did. Caesar kind of made the blueprint here. Right. 
using the people, the loyalty and the love of the people to amass political power. Now, this episode isn't about how to become dictator or how to become how to become a successful political candidate. But what it, what I am trying to share is the, 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 the energy you put out towards people, respecting people, listening to people, no matter if they're the janitor or the CEO, how you treat people most times, nine out of 10 times, that's the same energy you're going to get back. All right. Lesson two, experience is the teacher of all things. Now, this is a quote from Caesar himself. And what does it mean? It means experiencing something firsthand is where the real education begins. You've all heard the difference between book knowledge and street knowledge, right? Book smarts and street smarts. Well, book knowledge, in a way, is mostly theoretical. It's all about guessing and thinking and pondering about what might happen. It's like knowing a math equation that maybe 10 people in the world understand But street knowledge is how to operate in the day-to-day, how to read a room, how to fix a car, how to survive in a chaotic environment. Now, being from the upper classes, clearly Julius had a formal education. His family could afford a private tutor. You got to remember, back in those days, education was for the rich only because you had to pay for it. And in this education, he learned reading and writing. He learned about Roman law. He probably learned some rhetoric, which is just the art of speaking. But the experience Caesar's talking about in this quote is the other type of knowledge, street knowledge. The essay writes it like this. Caesar understood the subtleties of experience and that they trump the best theoretical education in the world. Reading about great generals such as his Carthinian rival Hannibal is one thing. But to roll up your sleeves and learn the hard way is best. Julius Caesar learned to be a soldier with the rank and file of the Roman legions. He fought on the front lines, shoulder to shoulder with the legionnaires. He slept with them, ate with them, drank with them, marched with them, bled with them. Had he not spent years in the trenches doing the work himself, he would not have been the military leader he became. Unquote. Experience really is the best teacher when you think about it, because how do we know how to deal with something if we never deal with it, which is another way of saying experience it. So many of my students today have social anxiety, and a lot of it is because they're not experiencing anything. Hear me out on this. They literally have no experience. They live on a screen in a virtual world, day in, day out. They don't go outside. They're not using their minds. They're not using their muscles. They're not prepared for any adversity in life, which is inevitable. And this subsequently is why they have anxiety. So in a sense, I don't blame them. We all have anxiety. That's a natural part of being a human. But then anxiety only grows the more we uh, hide from things. Anxiety only lessens or leaves once we've experienced how to handle something. And then that doesn't mean it fully goes away. It just means, you know, you've learned how to deal with it. Life must be lived. There's a quote. It's a nautical quote. So, you know, I like it. It's been ascribed to many different people uh, like Columbus, for example, But I don't know who originally said it. But the quote goes like this. A ship is safe in the harbor, 
but that's not what it was designed for. Boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, I know we hate adversity, especially the modern self, right? Our modern selves. We, is that a word, selves? You know, our modern society, we hate anything having to do with pain and suffering and challenge and difficulty, but that's life. And the only way to be the best version of yourself is you got to get out of the safe harbor. You got to get out of the harbor. You got to get out on the open seas and experience life. We're designed to experience life with all its ups and downs. And the only way to learn from those things is by going out and doing those things. And we're going to talk a little bit more about doing here in a minute. So I think we can see that these first two lessons kind of stack on top of each other, right? Caesar treated people well, both his soldiers and the common folk. And he did this in part because he was ambitious. I mean, we're not saying this guy's as pure as the wind driven snow. So yes, he was ambitious, but also because he had experience. He fought alongside his troops and he lived alongside the lower classes. By doing this, he secured two things. He gained the love, admiration, and loyalty of these different groups of people. And he's going to use that to climb to the highest seats of power. And secondly, he understood that through experience, people believe a certain way. They think a certain way. And if we don't go out and experience different people, living with them, working with them, talking to them, uh, you know, we're not going to uh, have a better perspective on life. Unfortunately, nowadays, the best politicians are the ones who can rile up the emotions, right? And then they get to office and they don't know how to do anything because they don't have any political experience. I mean, Barack Obama was, he didn't have that much political experience. He had more than Trump, who had zero political experience before coming, before becoming president. But, you know, the best political people are the ones that have actually lived with the people they're representing. But anyway, I digress. So Caesar was able to treat people a certain way, garner love and support, and he learned through experience actually doing things. And then he personally had the third ingredient that's going to make his life a success to the point where we're talking about it 2,000 years later. He was a doer, and people like doers more than they like talkers. And that brings us to lesson number three. Be bold and decisive. Crossing the Rubicon and things like the die is cast both come from either an action or a saying from Caesar. And they mean the same thing, taking action. And let's look at these individually. Crossing the Rubicon has come to mean passing the point of no return. But historically, it comes from Caesar literally crossing the Rubicon River with his troops. Why is this significant? Well, the Rubicon River is located in northern Italy, and it was the official boundary marker for the Roman province. When Caesar's governorship of Gaul ended, he was ordered to disband his army and return to Rome. But by marching his troops across the Rubicon, he broke Roman law and basically forced an inevitable conflict from which he was victorious and would go on to become dictator for life. History or legend has it that as Caesar made this decision to march his troops into Rome, he said, Alia act est which is Latin for the die is cast, 
Well, what does that mean? It's referring to a game of chance. Think about it. Once you roll the dice, your fate is subsequently sealed. The outcome of the game is no longer in your hands. Very few people have the courage to take such incredibly bold actions. But that's why we remember them. That's why people are drawn to such individuals. There's a power, there's a energy. It's like the third time I've used that. I got to come up with a different word. There's a charisma. There's a drawing feature to someone who has the internal fortitude to make such consequential decisions. And, and you know, that's why they say fortune favors the bold. Now, just because you're bold doesn't mean you'll succeed. I mean, there's plenty of episodes in history that took guts to bring about or to be a part of, you know, just off the top of my head. The assassination of Hitler, known as the July 20 plot. You know, Tom Cruise made a movie about it. That didn't work. That took a lot of guts. Uh, John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry was a failure. He was executed. You got Pickett's charge. Uh, You got the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan. All these decisions took guts. But in all these decisions, it's safe to say the gamble didn't pay off. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be bold. It just means we need to be aware of the possible consequences. Everybody loves you when you're making big decisions and winning. Everyone loves a winner. Another draw to Julius Caesar. But decisions have consequences. And not every decision is going to lead to success. And that's when your friends run away from you. And we'll get to that uh, towards the very end here. The essay writes it this way. Be bold. Take chances. Don't hide. Every time you don't speak up in a meeting, every time you hold back due to fear, you're missing out on an opportunity which can potentially change your life. All successful businessmen and women have all gone through the roller coaster of success and failure. And every single one of them will tell you that failure taught them how to be more successful. Speak your mind, even if what you have to say may earn you a few frowns. It is easy to feel pressure by others to keep your mouth shut or not speak against the grain. Speak against the grain. Okay, these guys, can I just, these guys are from Australia. I mean, maybe speak against the grain is a saying down there. I don't know. Maybe I should have picked a different essay. I don't know. We're going with it. Speak against the grain. Go against the grain is what they're saying. Okay, back to the thing. Your mouth shut, speaker. Don't let yourself be intimidated. Unquote. Man, I have to tell you guys, this last one really speaks to me personally. As I get older, I wish more and more I was bolder and more decisive in my youth. Took more chances. There are a few courageous souls in the media that I really envy, and I'm not going to name drop, but I really envy them because they they don't care about what people think. They just boldly charge ahead. They say what they want to say. And if we're honest, most people feel that same way. We're, we're, we're envious of that. We're drawn to it. We look up to courageous people because we want to be like that. However, people that speak the truth, right? You got people that love it. And then you're going to have people that are turned off by courage. Some people are opposed to boldness for whatever reason. This is why the essay is referring to that last part. You know, you might get a few frowns. The haters, in other words, will emerge. It reminds me of this quote from Churchill. It says, 
Do you have enemies? Good. That means you took a stand for something once in your life. Okay, so what did we learn from Julius Caesar today? We learned be mindful of how you treat people. Lesson two, experience teaches all things. And number three, be bold and be decisive. If you can work on these three things, if I can work on these three things, we will find success in life. No, the goal isn't to become dictator of Rome or to become emperor, but the goal is to succeed in life. And whether we like Julius Caesar or not, clearly we could, we could all agree that he had a successful, meaningful life of legacy and purpose. And that's what we want. So watch out how you treat people. Treat people with respect. All kinds of people, even people that you don't agree with. Show them loyalty. Show them respect. And nine times out of ten, they will show you respect. Seek out experience. Not just book knowledge, but real life knowledge. Street smarts. Learn how to do things with your hands. Expose yourself to different ideas and to different kinds of people. That will give you a dynamic perspective in life. And finally, be bold and decisive. Take a stand. Take a stand for things you believe in and don't worry about the haters and the naysayers. Here at Professor Liberty, we seek to educate, inspire, and restore. If you like this podcast, please go to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star rating. If you leave a written review, contact me and let me know about it, and I will send you a Professor Liberty sticker. And I forgot to tell you guys, we got a new Professor Liberty logo that I'm really excited about. So eventually we'll have some new stickers with the new logo uh, available. Go throughout the land and proclaim liberty.